Iowa everywhere. Um, we'd love to tell you what this podcast is about, but the truth is, we don't know. The CW Pod, at home on Iowa Everywhere. From the Channel Seed Studios, this is Iowa Everywhere. Channel Seed, seedsmanship at work. Welcome to this week's CW Pod here on Iowa Everywhere. Of course, we're in the Channel Seed Studios, and we are presented, as always, by our friends at Circa Resort and Casino. Download that Circa Sports Iowa app today. Rick, so two guys named Chris. I don't know if you guys had seen our tweets. It has been delayed a day. Hassel's dad is staying in the room that Hassel podcasts in. So if we did a show today, it would be like Don Hassel like snoring in the background. So we couldn't do that today. So I'm doing the CW pod early this week uh, to give you guys something to chew on. And I'm really excited. A guy who I've always really looked up to in the industry. I think he's one of the best that the state of Iowa has to offer. And uh, a buddy of mine, and we're going to talk about the industry, his career. We'll get into some realignment, the Hawks and whatnot. Scott Doctorman from The Athletic joins me today. Hey, Scott, what's going on, brother? How you doing? Hey, hey, Chris, I'm glad to be with you on your new venture. It looks really cool. Um, I'm doing well. You know, it's uh, it's spring in Iowa. It was 83 or whatever it was on uh, on Friday, and then it was snowing yesterday. So uh, I guess just uh, close your eyes and it all changes. Yeah, I'm doing the uh, Little League softball coaching venture okay. right now, and it's funny. It's the the girls, so they're like eight, and – they were all complaining it was too cold. At the one practice, they were complaining that it's hot. And I was like, ladies, just wait, because next week it's going to be like snowing on you. They they don't quite grasp what our what our weather's like here in the state. Um, looking forward to this conversation. I, I just have so many different directions that I want to take this with you. Uh, I want to do this real I mean, because this is, I think we're going to have a really eventful off season. I think something's going to happen. I, I don't know what. I'm not, <laughs> not arrogant enough to know exactly what happened here. But I, I feel like the, the tectonic plates have not stopped shifting. Anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked to you about having a front row seat for Caitlin Clark and this women's basketball phenomenon that we've seen in our state. And I want to talk about just the the media. I mean, something we're doing right here is, I don't know, it's something I've had in mind for about five or six years or so, but it's actually come to a reality. And you've been um, the guys really got that I, I think has done a fantastic job of navigating the, the media cycle throughout your career. So let's kind of start right there. For those who... When did you get your start? You start at Seeds Gazette, or were you where before that? What what year was your career kind of launched here? Wow, you're going all the way back to 1992, Chris, and okay. uh, that was my senior year of high school. I'm from Burlington, Iowa, uh, down on the southeast part of the state, and I was uh, actually for two years, well, three years, I was working for the high school newspaper, but I was also playing sports. I was playing quarterback for the Greyhounds. You can see my jersey hanging in from the right, yeah. background, you know, uh, 
uh, I realized pretty early that I wasn't going to be in the NFL. So I, it, I better <laughs> make do with what comes next. And uh, sports writing was something that I really enjoyed and really started to follow. And my senior year of high school, it was kind of funny. I, I was out for soccer just for the heck of it because we just got it. It was like the second year that Burlington had it. And um, my aunt worked in advertising at the Burlington Hawkeye newspaper, which is actually older than the University of Iowa itself, and uh, said that they had an opening for a part-time gig. And that's something that I kind of wanted to go into. And and I thought, all right, I'm going to give that a shot. And I got it and realized after about three or four months, I was too immature to, to do to take calls at you know, from seven to 1130 at night on Tuesdays and Fridays and Saturdays. Cause I just want to be out partying, you know, I was 18. Yeah. I was wild. And, but I came to my senses after a couple of years, got through with it. And then I graduated in 97 uh, from Western Illinois university and uh, got my first gig at Muscatine um, covering high schools. Mm. Did that for two years. Um, enjoyed it a lot. Uh, Burlington and Muscatine back then, back in the old days of the Mac, were big rivals. And so I was aware of it. I didn't really like Muscatine as a town until I moved there and it, and it grew on me. Uh, I spent a year in Fort Dodge um, mm-hmm. and I covered police and county government. Um, there, uh, my wife also worked there. She worked in lifestyles at the messenger. And an interesting part about that was I, first of all, I think as a, as a journalist, maybe it was one of my more formative years because I learned how to report news because one thing that's easy, it's easy about covering college sports is you have all access to all the information you need, you know, that you have availability of players, you have, um, you know, you have stats, you have all this stuff. Well, you know, when you're covering police and county government, <laughs> especially the police part, people don't want to talk to you at all. So you got to learn how to report the news. And I saw some really bad things, but I got through with it. Uh, I spent a year there. Then I moved to St. Joseph, Missouri and worked there for six years as sports editor. And I covered the Kansas City Chiefs while I was doing it. And that was really important for me because it enabled me to get out of my comfort zone out of the state of Iowa and, and work and and then I came back, went to the Gazette in 2006, stayed there through 2016, uh, did a lot of different things there. Uh, started off as kind of like sports enterprise and investigative, then morphed into a beat writer when we had some down to cuts. And and then uh, spent a two years at uh, Land of Ten, which was an ill-fated uh, operation by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and Cox Media Group. That was not a very good, well-run place. It was even more miserable than that on a personal level. And then for the last five, I've been with The Athletic, which I absolutely love. It's been the best place I've ever worked. I love The Athletic. I love what it stands for. I'm, I'm kind of a guy who just, I guess I really respect disruptors. I, mm-hmm. I've, I've always looked up to that place just because it was so fresh. It was... Our industry was so rocked, and it still is by, I just want to read a story without having 15 ads pop up in my face. And the the athletic, to me, was one of the first waves in sports where it was like, you know, we, we had gotten kind of this like Napster type of generation where we didn't want to pay for anything. Mm-hmm. Like my generation, really, because that's how you grew up in the internet. Everything was free on the internet i mean even back in the day right scott like the newspaper it's like you had to pay to get a newspaper delivered to your door but all the stuff was free on the internet for a while Mm -hmm. i believe because they didn't have the technology for (laughs) subscriptions and stuff and the athletic rolls around 
and you guys are like, hey, no, we're we're charging a subscription, but you can actually read your articles in peace. You can, and and you guys go, you went deeper in depth. I, I can't, you're like, we're not doing gamers anymore. We're doing this for the real sports fan. And like, I just really respected it when it came out. And it's been a blast to see how that thing's kind of evolved over the years. Yeah, that's what I love about it, um, Chris, because when we were, you know, when I worked at newspapers and I did so for, you know, 20 plus years, you know, you're confined by time, space, all that sort of stuff. You've got this finite amount of, of space in a newspaper that you can write to and then uh, and that's it. So, you know, hey, I went to this great game, but hey, we've got room for 500 words or 15 inches or whatever. And it's like, that's all you can write. Well, we're not confined by that. That doesn't mean we should write 5,000 words on a yeah. typical Tuesday night basketball game or anything. But what we can do is we can deep dive deeper into the topics and the subjects and, and cause you know, everybody watches the games, you know, fans watch the games. It's really about what else is going on that we're trying mm-hmm. to really deep dive deep into it. And if there's a game, you know, Hey, every, every team, every power five team plays a, a layup, you know, you're supposed to win those games, you know, uh, sometimes you lose, but most of the time you win, people don't really care to, to read about how Iowa state dismantled SEMO in the opener. But they want to know, okay, how did this team look? What what did you yeah. like? What did you what are you concerned about? How did uh, Xavier Hutchinson perform? You know, catching the passes. You know, what are the what did Hunter Deckers look like? You know, that those are the things that people are most interested in, just like any other team in any other part of the country. So we're we try to say, okay, well, we're going to go in that direction, but then come back later with even something even bigger and better. So I really like that about us that we're not beholden to the the daily story i did that a lot especially with like iowa basketball when i covered iowa basketball it's like i got to come up with something every single day and after a while they all run together we don't worry about that we just want to get the best stories we can on a frequent basis well and it's it's turned into and i don't know if this was the vision at the beginning but it it's like you're all in one publication but it's almost like a network too Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. you're the iowa guy okay um the you know story some story breaks and you've got your national guy who can call you and make you almost like a source in the story because you guys go to the experts that are local Mm -hmm. which is what i i like about it and uh like just my example i'm a i'm a huge atlanta braves fan it's my probably my favorite franchise and you guys went out and hired my um I was an Atlanta journal constitution subscriber for the longest time. And like, I can get all my sports in this one spot. I just, I love it. I'm a big admirer of it. How has it gone with the New York times? How does that, how has that ownership changed things? If at all, it has a little bit. Um, It's we've been a little bit sanitized a little bit more than normal. Um, You know, things like I had to sign a social media policy, you know, which before I didn't have to, Um, you know, things like swearing and stories. um, They have to go through a little bit rigorous process. And now it's more the hyphens rather than the words that kind of stinks a little bit. But and then and then the the length of the stories, they have to be more justified if you want to go longer than, you know, whereas before. Before, it was just like, yeah, that's okay, you know. Uh, so they they've kind of shooed horn to stand, but not a lot. I mean, we're still we still operate completely differently, and it's just kind of those guidelines and sourcing is a little bit more rigid, which you'd expect. But you know, some of the best things we do is 
is in, especially in college sports is get behind the scenes. I mean, when we were doing those, um, you know, uh, the state of the program stories, and then we would talk to an assistant coach or somebody who knew the program, those are some of the best read things we could get is, you know, what is this assistant coach about a program within the conference say about this team on yeah. rec, you know, without using their name. And we got to, we got to be concerned a little bit about that. Well, it, you can't really tell Peter. And I'm, I mean, I read the athletic, I, I open it up. It's one of the first things in the morning and it's always the last thing I read before I go to bed. And I can't really tell. I, the New York Times is fascinating to me too, in the sense that it it seems like you know you look around and everything is being you know dilutive when it comes to local media, mm-hmm. at least. And you know, there's a lot of really bad companies in our industry that are now mm-hmm. owned by like hedge funds. They don't care about the journalism. They don't care about the people. The Times just keeps growing, and I'm just I'm fascinated in ten years what the New York Times will be because it's like oh. Maybe I like, for instance, the other day I wanted to make these um, pork tacos on my smoker. Yeah. My wife made a request and I typed in recipe and the New York Times was the first thing that popped up. It's like, it's just (laughs) that company to me is fascinating, like where that company might be in, in 10 years. They've done a great job um, overall of, of building its online base and and taking the next step and maintaining its, you know, what some people most, you know, most people would consider journalistic integrity. Other people who have uh, different views would, would disagree and that's fine. But but no, I mean, I, I like the way that they've done it. And I'm, I was thrilled when they bought us because I think there were there were a couple of gambling companies that were involved. Yeah. Uh, but, but but the fact is that we are able to maintain our kind of j- journalistic integrity and our independence to some extent, I think, is is something that's really important, I think, to me, to the to the readers, because they don't want to see a lot of changes. They don't want to see a lot of necessarily politically based stuff, but they also don't want to see, uh, you know, uh, you know, gotcha headlines or or anything yeah. like like a clickbait, you know, like, oh, Kirk Ferentz and Iowa cheerleaders, you know, uh, they, they don't want. <laughs> They don't want to see anything like that. And I don't blame them. That's, that's not ethical. So you've been there. I mean, you could been covering Iowa since 2006, right? Is that Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, really about the same time as me, I started at Iowa state at 2004. So we, we have similar, but you've had a different experience because you've only covered one football coach <laughs> and you've basically covered what, two basketball coaches. Three. I got there for the last year of Alford. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. I did do a little bit of uh, in the nineties when I was in Muscatine, I did come over. I did write about, you know, Hayden a few times. I covered some games and stuff. I wasn't, I wasn't really intense, but you know, it was the small school or small town newspaper that came over for games and a couple of press conferences. So, you know, and plus I've been aware of this program for 40 plus years. So, yeah, I guess like more from like a, journalist standpoint it's it's fascinating to me when when a program so mike palm from circa is always he has like these this theory about iowans that we um just as like fans that we just will hold on to coaches forever like because he he always uses iowa as an example with bluter mccaffrey and um and and kirk uh it, it is really interesting on the inside when you have to work and, and cover a coach for as long as you have, because there's, 
I mean, I, I always tell people that coaches, like when they first get to a place, they're awesome. They, they want to, they love the media. They want to be your, they want to be as accessible as possible. They, and then they're going to have their first face of adversity where they're criticized and then they get jaded and then they start to shut down and then they'll usually lose and they'll all of a sudden try and open things back up because they need some positive press. And what, what has that been like for you being at the same place for, for so long covering really the same people because there hasn't been much turnover. I just, I think it's fascinating the ups and downs that must've been that you've seen with those relationships. Yeah, they've been really fascinating. I mean, I, let's start with, with football. It's the primary sport anyway. And Kirk has been there the longest, longest of anybody in the country. And he, uh, you know, I would say when I got there, he was just coming off like their really big surge, you know, where they won 10 games, three straight years and kind of went down a little bit, but, um, they, it got testy there for a few years and then they he built them back up. And, and I would say the relationship at that point was pretty hands-off and pretty standoffish uh, from Kirk. He was very much at an arm's length and it was hard to really get a read on it, which I, I think what coaches are really acceptable, what they don't realize is that the f- we're in some ways we used to be kind of the, the combative people maybe 25, 30 years ago, or, or the people they had to worry about the, the fans are much more knee jerky than the media is, especially yeah. in this state In this state, I think coaches should look at media as, you know, we're a buffer, you know, we're a filter We're you know, you're not going to see pot shots taken at them. Great point. Um, you know, Look at a couple of years ago with uh, when Steve Prome was the coach. That could have been a, an, an issue where when you're 0 and 18 in a league, <laughs> people can rip you to shreds. I didn't really see that. I mean, there was more of a real, you know, realization of things going the wrong way, but it wasn't just like it would be in a lot of other markets. Same thing over here. Um, and I, so I think with Kirk, what he realized after he had his it was really a stale period about five years from 2010 to 2014, where they were like 34 and 30 overall. They lost all four trophy games. Attendance was going down and he got really kind of salty at at times. And he realized we called it new Kirk. They got better, um, more impactful with, or better relationships and stuff. And, and for me with, when it comes to football, my whole view is to be fair is to if I'm going to if I'm going to come at you, if I'm if I'm going to bring something up, it's going to be because the facts back it up. And, you know, no, no greater. There are two issues that have over the last couple of years that have really come to forefront on this. And that is Brian Ferentz and and the offense. And then you also have the racial discrimination stuff from 2020. And when that happened in 2020, you know, we're just trying to get our bearings. What's going on here? And Mm -hmm. And I used as my primary tenant, the players, the players, parents and former players, you know, all all African-American. And I wanted to get as much information as I could behind the scenes and then also on record, too. And the majority and, and an overwhelming majority were there are issues here. They need to be corrected. Chris Doyle is the problem. 
We think we're not sure if Kirk can do it, but we think he ought to at least have the opportunity to try to correct these. That was kind of the, the general underlying theme. And that's kind of what I ended up writing was I thought this is more of the story to me than I was racist. Get rid of the coaches, you know, because that's mm -hmm. easy knee jerk, you know, what's going on there. And, uh, you know, and, and so that's kind of the vein I took. And I thought that that was at least the fair way to go. Now people criticize me on both sides that I was too tough on Kirk or I was too light on Kirk. And, you know, but that's the way I took it. And then with Brian Ferentz in the offense. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot to blame there, but what I, I looked at was, there are so many issues here that are beyond his control. It's not just him. I'm not saying he, he doesn't deserve to lose his job or anything like that. I'm just saying that the offensive line was terrible because in 2018, 19, they've lost all their, all their players, all their offensive linemen were gone. Uh, they had one scholarship receiver available. What are you supposed to have a quarterback who is very inaccurate, great guy, but very inaccurate. What do you do? And he can't do a whole lot himself. So when I look at this, I'm, I'm like, well, what are the areas where I think he is, is subpar? And the one that I came down to was, and this took a lot of time, was to go through the um, red zone numbers. And the, the fact was four times in the last two years, they've thrown the ball when they're inside the 10 yard line, they've thrown the ball into the end zone. That to me tells me that is <laughs> that's schematic. That's coaching. Yeah. That that's the coordination. So that is a problem when you're always settling for field goals in the red zone. It's fascinating um, to be on the front lines of that racial discrimination suit too, and that was such a polarizing time in our country. You had COVID. Mm -hmm. You had the Black Lives Matter movement mm -hmm. throughout the country, and then that happened, and. That had to be really hard to be on the front lines to cover, I would think, because it doesn't matter. I, I would guess, Scott, and I wasn't in your mentions, mm -hmm. it didn't matter what you wrote. People will read it and take it the way they want to based on their political ideology. Is mm -hmm. that fair? I mean, is that how it went down? Largely, yes. And then you threw on the, the fan component where yes. early on, I mean, I would say that nationally or people outside the Iowa purview were pretty strongly against Iowa for this, you know, like clean house, this is a racist program, all that kind of stuff. And then you had the diehard fans who want to believe anything. This isn't true. This is this, this is that. And then you had as time, as it went on, as the investigation went on and you're still reporting it, people are getting really fed up. They want to know, they want to see this concluded because, you know, their favorite team is getting its ears boxed quite a bit. So it, it was tough. I think towards probably once we got past the 4th of July, which is about two and a half weeks, three weeks after the fact, that's when fans started becoming more threatening. And that was hard um, for me and some of the other reporters that I work with. I would suggest one of my best friends in the industry, uh, Mark Morehouse, really became burnt out and he ended up leaving the industry a couple months later. And and it's it's it was very it was a very challenging time. But I think you also had to be honest. And I'm in my whole summation was we're still going to use the hush blackwell report is the primary basis of what what ends up coming out of this thing and it suggested that you know i mean is it racist or racial insensitivity those are two things that i'm a white guy from iowa so are you chris i don't know exactly how to um 
characterize it in a way that, that makes sense or to rationalize it for somebody um, who is not like me because I'm not like them. I haven't experienced it. I don't know what it's like. So therefore, I've got to try to build off those relationships with people who are like that and let them kind of tell their story and guide me in a direction and, and still be fair. And that was very difficult. And it was difficult throughout the year. The, the thing was, we just decided, you know, me the, at The Athletic was we're just going to continue to build this fairly because if there is if the, if the majority of the former players and the majority of the parents and stuff said, look, they got to change, they got to make changes, this, this is terrible. And that's really the path that they need to take. But when the majority of them, and I'm not saying all of them, because there were some that were like that, but the majority was like, we really like Kirk. We really like mm-hmm. a lot of the coaches there. Um, they've had some issues, and we know that. But that they're we should they get they should get the opportunity to try to correct them. And when they did, then those same people I keep coming back to them just conversationally. It doesn't have to be a transactional relationship. Mm-hmm. You just you know find out a little bit more, and they're like, oh yeah, I think things are better. You know, they're not perfect. They never will be, but things are better. They're allowing them to do this. They're allowing them to do this. They weren't before. Then I think you just kind of allow it to, to move. And then the lawsuit part of it uh, was different altogether. And the conclusion of it uh, was politically motivated. And that, that really, that's probably why I think Kirk and the, and the um, coaches have, will be more sh- guarded this year because the, they should, it should have went to trial. And, um, but one, the state and Brenna Bird pushed for a settlement above that of the university didn't want it. None of the plain or none of the defendants wanted it, but the state attorney general's office wanted it. And, and so the neat thing for them was not only they forced that settlement, then they put enough political pressure out there to force Iowa athletics department to pay their summary of it or pay their portion when they didn't, when they didn't want it to begin with. So, yeah. uh, so it's kind of like, we're going to, you know, the phrase a few years ago, we're going to build a wall and make Mexico pay for it. That's kind of what Iowa did here, which is we're going to make the settlement and we're going to make you pay for our part of it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm, I'm glad you brought up Morehouse, another guy I love. Um, great dude. Mm-hmm. And, and that's another area I wanted to, to go with you here because how, how, I always have a really uh, love-hate relationship with with fans on Twitter because one without fans we wouldn't have jobs right like they're the ones paying for this stuff and they their passion is what makes college athletics go but there's an interesting thing that happens now that didn't happen even 10 years ago and it's when the team loses a game um, sometimes alcohol is involved um, they can the the media is kind of like the go between for the fans mm-hmm. and the coach or the athletic director or the quarterback or whoever they're they're mad at and for the most part i feel like i can i have pretty thick skin i've done talk radio i've i've taken my shots and for the most part you can move on there is a human being aspect of it too where mm-hmm. it just gets kind of uh 
it does wear you out. You do get fatigued by the hate, and it's mm-hmm. not necessarily the majority of people, but they're the loudest ones that generally come at you. How how have you dealt with that over the years? And and did you ever? Is there been a point where you you thought maybe I'm going to get out of this because it's just not fun anymore from that aspect? Yeah, you know, the, it, when the team's losing or goes on a losing streak or is not performing well, then that's when it gets really nasty. And I would say last fall was probably the worst. Um, you know, when especially right around the time of Illinois and Ohio State when Iowa lost by three to Illinois, but just the way the offense was performing, uh, it got really. I, I understand fans have nowhere else to vent. They don't. They can't just walk up to the locker room, knock on the door, yeah. and start. You know, ah, but but I think what they see or what they interpret, what they want us to do is channel their anger and aggression towards the coaches. Like I always look at it like, uh, like Tom Cruise and a few good men, you know, I want the truth. You know, that's what they want from a press conference. And it's not like that because they certainly wouldn't want that if the team was winning. Um, but after a while, you know, we get it and I'm sure it happens in, in Ames and Lincoln and everywhere else, but people start, you know, they flex their, their Twitter muscles and, you know, you guys need to start asking some tough questions. Tough questions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ask the tough questions. We get it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, we do. You know, we just don't ask them in a, you know, sometimes not necessarily in a confrontational way, you know, because we deal with these guys every, you know, and especially during the season, multiple times a week, you know, after good wins and bad, you know, you, you've got to be the same. You've got to remove that that emotion and and fans want that emotion they want somebody to stand up and go why won't you fire brian ferentz you know and and i want to but that's not going to be the case now we've asked multiple times you know would you ever consider replacing brian ferentz would you could you know things like that and it's the answers that antagonize them more than anything. So they still don't have any place to put their anger, their aggression, because the multiple ways are they could just quit going. They could be apathetic. They're not quite there yet, or they could find another way to, to, to vent. And it's usually to us on Twitter because we're kind of the go between. And uh, last fall got really to the point of, I'm just sick of this shit, or I'm sorry, this stuff. No, you can cuss. We're on the uh, internet. You can say uh, shit. Okay. Say gotcha. whatever you want, Scott. Drop, All right. more, drop an F-bomb if you want, buddy. That's the glory of this platform. All right. I like it. I like it already. <laughs> I just don't know the venues on some of these stuff. But I no, felt I, you. It was the promo in 19 year where yeah. I legitimately wanted to quit. I wanted to get out. Mm-hmm. I, I really did. I, I actually like thought about it. for. I had to take a – I legit went out to Colorado in a cabin by myself for five days. Like I just <laughs> – Cause it had gotten so toxic and it was right, you know, during the pandemic, there weren't any mm. fans there and like people are just sitting around and they, you know, it's no wonder like alcohol sales were through the roof that winter. Right. Mm. Like, and this is all <laughs> real stuff. And I had yeah, right. real sympathy for people. Cause all they wanted to was to watch, I would say basketball is very proud fan base. Right. And they mm. very passionate and you can't even win a game. And I get it. Like it, you can, you can say, Oh, I'm, I have thick skin all you want but the negativity still wears can wear a guy down i think is yeah the way to put it right because it's not necessarily directed at me but it's just continuously negative i always considered myself uh the community bartender 
on, <laughs> on Twitter. And, you know, so it's like belly up, tell me your concerns. I'll come over. I'll talk and blah, blah, blah. Well, if, if somebody walks in every single day to bitch about their job or their wife <laughs> or their, you know, where they live, their car or whatever, after a while, you're like, dude, what? What am I supposed to do here? You know, I can listen to you for a while. It's like, you're, you know, when you have your friends or somebody yeah. just continuously bitches, you're just like, I'm tired of this shit. The, and, I think the, the hardest part for, for me is that when in a spot like that, or like even Iowa State football last year, and, and granted, I'm not really doing this day-to-day like you do anymore. Jared kind of heads that mm-hmm. up for us. So, But I'm going off of my experience. So you're getting it from fans, which is okay. Like, again, like I have a very – I love the fans because they're – the reason all this works mm. i acknowledge that but again we, we still have to be like honest and open here and it, and it does affect you but then you go to do your job and everybody's negative mm-hmm. because they're losing so like you're getting hit like in every direction where there's no positivity and man it just, it just you just those years you just beg for the season to come to an end <laughs> yeah. Or because even when you're out commiserating with your fellow scribes or reporters or people on the beat, it, it all centers around what you're covering. And so you're still, yeah. you're, you know, and so it's all your negative experiences and you're recycling them. And it's like, after a while, it's like, man, I got to get out of here. I got to do something different. And, <laughs> and so, you know, what, what always would, what probably got, gets me the most pissed frankly, is when I was like watching like something NFL related or something. And then I'll comment like on a, wow, that was a great call. And then somebody will say, well, that's something Brian Ferentz wouldn't call. You know, (laughs) I'm like, and I'm trying to get away from that. Just, you know, and I'm like, so I'm just not even going to tweet. I'm just going to sit and and watch this. But, but, uh, uh, you know, to make, I'm making it sound really like negative here. I, overall, my experiences on Twitter are great. Yeah. Met a lot of great people, great people, you know, whether it's Cyclone Fanatic, I, I think you have some just tremendous, you know, Cyclone Larry's funny, you know, <laughs> Steph, Steph Copley is, is tremendous. Yeah, she's I, great. I, she's great. Uh, you know, Jared's great. You know, I, I really enjoy that interaction. And, and I would say I've met so many great just fans and people who, feel the same way or not the same way or, you know, whether it's about life or, or sports or, or just anything, you know, Hey, what's the weather like in your area that it's just, uh, you know, it's been a bonus more than it's been a detriment. I, I personally enjoyed your uh, reporting on the Iowa parking garage <laughs> last week. <laughs> that about set so, me over the edge. <laughs> so you, you report on the, that I was, taken to the regents that they want to add this parking garage near Kinnick stadium. I don't even know all the details. Honestly, I didn't really care that much. <laughs> the only reason I cared is because I take my daughter to the hospital mm-hmm. uh, three, four times a year. And I'm like, how will this impact where I park? That was where, that was where my mindset was. And so let me get this straight. I mean, people are just losing their minds on your feed because it's going to impact where they park a game day or what, what was the gist of it? I tell you what, I, I think there's probably, it, it's <laughs> ne- not, you know, as much as people care about winning and losing, the most important thing is whether they can get out and get on the road uh, at a decent time after a game. And, and last week I heard it from all angles, whether they park in that lot, whether they don't, whether they're just generally complaining saying, well, it's going to take a lot of time to get out of that lot after a game and just, <laughs> You know, you're like, no wonder that when there's 
Four minutes left in every basketball game, you look up to the concourse at Carver Hawkeye and there's just a circle of fans like three deep because they got to beat traffic to get to their cars. And it's like, it's a tie game. You know, both teams are ranked. It's a Big Ten game, you know, but still, it doesn't matter. I feel you when when we used to go to Iowa games when I was a kid, we'd drive five hours to get there, okay, from Western mm-hmm. Iowa. And my uncle would want to leave with like five minutes to go in the third quarter to beat traffic. It's yeah. like, what are we doing? We drove, yeah. you got 10 hours in a car and you're leaving, you know, halfway into this thing. That's just <laughs> how some people are wired. I get it. Like that, that, that was my family growing up. And, I mean, hell, we that- would be to Des Moines by the time that sound off would start. <laughs> It's true. And it's sad. It's the way it is. It's, you know, when I, I, I talk to people all the time, you know, it's like, wow, did you see that last, uh, you know, that last second shot, you know, maybe the Bohannon shot in 2018 or whatever it was. And, and, oh no, I was, but I was listening to it in the car, you know, it's like, well, that's not the same thing, you know, uh, like this year. Now, granted, when Iowa played uh, Michigan State, I think they were down like 10 with like 90 seconds left. Oh, yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, yeah and then Peyton Sanford hits that shot, you know, to, to send the game into overtime. You know, and there was probably half of the arena was there. And then either the people who were on the concourse or the people who were, um, you know, somehow streaming back into the arena to get in to watch it for the overtime. And it was, it was uh, just wild, but I probably would have left too if I had tickets and I was like, no doubt, but it was a Saturday afternoon. I mean, what else are you going to do? All right. I want to do some uh, realignment here. uh, But before, so I just real quick on the Iowa women's program and, and Caitlin Clark. I mean, I, I got a feeling I, I mean, I, I've kind of, I've been pretty aware of her for a while being in Des Moines. I was doing play-by-play for the Iowa State women when she was taking visits and stuff. Got to meet her when she was younger. Um, the whole Steph Curry thing, I think, is spot on. It just, do you, do you get a feeling, Scott, when you're covering this and watching her, is this, this is different than just like, oh, um, the Murray twins are lottery picks or... Luca Garza or Megan Gustafson, you covered all these amazing mm-hmm. players through the years. This one just feels different to me. Where are you at on this? Yeah, she's a transcendent force of change in the sport and in sports, not mm-hmm. just not just basketball, not just women's basketball, but sports itself. And that is is really neat to see because when you see little boys, like I was at the celebration the other day, just kind of you know, making sure she didn't say anything about Angel Reese. (laughs) But but when I was out there, uh, you know, you're looking at little boys, little boys wearing Clark 22. You know, I'm hearing hearing stories of, you know, little boys, you know, and and preteens, you know, hitting shots and then going like this. And I was doing it for Jordan, you know, uh, for the Blazer series. They're doing it for Caitlin Clark. That tells me that she is more than just – you know, just a, a female women's basketball player. I mean, it's, it's, she has, she's transcendent when you go on the road and there's 30, they average 3,600 fans above average at Big Ten venues when Iowa played there. And the, the lines were astronomical for her autographs that, uh, you know, I'd had anecdotes of fans tweeting at me, you know, you know, hey, I'm wearing red today, but I'm here for 22 for Iowa or, you know, stuff like that. And it's, 
it's remarkable that she has this much influence. I mean, and there's no secret. I mean, they, you know, they have the highest ratings in, in history. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if it would have been LSU in South Carolina, they would have been good too, but not like this. Yeah, not that. You know, so she just has the opportunity to, to bring in so many people under this tent. And she does it in a way where she's got swagger. She's got style. The, her game is, is incredible. And, and then she handles herself in such a, a, the right way after the fact. I mean, that thing with, with Angel Reese was, could have been a tipping point. And, and I'm not going to get into who's, who was right, who was wrong. But the way she handled it after the fact, brilliant. just, you know, she's a marketing major. I think she's going to be a multimillionaire in whatever field she chooses after basketball. But I would anticipate basketball lasting in at least another 10 plus years. Yeah, no, I would too. I, I did, As far as your role at the athletic, so I mean, up until now, the I would say the women's coverage has been small. Mm-hmm. Are, are you kind of like on a Caitlin Clark beat? From here on, because I I just she's one of the most popular athletes in America right now. Mm-hmm. This isn't just an Iowa thing. Like, how are you guys going to handle that? Well, I probably will cover more about Iowa women's basketball and and Caitlin Clark in the future. I did write, uh, you know, a fair amount in the winter. Um, yeah, I've like largely my my job is college football. My primary beat is Iowa. I do some Iowa state from time to time, I do a lot of big 10. And I, and now I'm, I'm really heavy in the draft. I'm writing a story every day on the draft and tomorrow's yeah. big, big 12 uh, overlooked prospects. So I've got a couple of cyclones on that list, but, but she is, as you said, she is the most popular figure. I think in college sports today, I think if you were to poll a thousand people nationally, who, who do you know more, Caleb Williams from USC, the quarterback who won the Heisman, or Caitlin Clark? I think Caitlin Clark is right there, if not ahead Me of too. Caleb Williams. And that's, you know, maybe I'm, bi- you know, not necessarily biased, but I'm just too close to it. But she is just a, a, a transformational figure. And I... And that's to me is, is says a lot for the sport. It's great that she's in it. It's going to be fascinating to see if she uses her fifth year, her COVID year um, at Iowa, because um, it, it could be a little bit of a tug of war. I mean, is you know, once she, you know, if she's here at Iowa, maybe that helps the women's basketball grow and helps Nike grow more because, you know, they need to come out with like an air logo shoe, by the way. No uh, you know, Absolutely. You know, my daughter but, is a cyclone through and through, and she would be lined up to buy the Caitlin Clark shoe the day it goes on sale. Yeah. So wherever she goes in the WNBA, whether it's after one year or two years, um, if she's at the Minnesota Lynx or if she's at the L.A. Sparks or Chicago Sky or wherever, um, then they'll find a way to get her to wherever they want her to go. Then I, I imagine that those jerseys will come off the rack in, in a heartbeat. All right, I wanted to wrap up and do a little realignment, something that you and I are both really into. Um, this this your mark from the Big 12 has just kind of stirred everything up since he got there. Uh, the Big 10 is hiring a new commissioner. We're in a really weird spot right now, waiting around on this Pac-12 television deal. If it's going to come, nobody really knows. Again, I've learned a long time ago not to make too many predictions when it comes to this stuff because I genuinely do not know. I think I know what Yormark has up his sleeve and what he wants to pull off here. 
I also feel like these Pac-12 schools specifically, um, I do think that they would prefer to stay together and, and keep it that way if at all possible. I mean, Scott, how, how do you – how do you see this playing out as far as this summer goes? Cause I, I just get the weird feeling like even if the PAC 12 stays together, I don't think your Mark's done. I think he's into this, make the big 12, the SEC of basketball thing. Um, I, that's why Gonzaga is on the radar. Um, I, I just, I think we're in for a Rocky three to four months here. What, where, where are you at on all of this? I think things could change in a, in a heartbeat. I think things can change every day, and they kind of have. And, and realignment has been the most fascinating to, and discussed topic in sports the last in college sports the last fifteen years or so. And I was there in Kansas City at the I think it was the Renaissance Hotel and on the plaza when it first all broke to hell in two thousand ten. I remember um, I was the only Iowa reporter there, and I look and I was with the Gazette, and I see Gregory Joffrey bolt the room. And I took off like a like a bat out of hell after him, and he gets to go on the on the um, elevator, and he was getting out his phone. I think he was probably going to call Jamie or something. I cut him off. I got right into the into the elevator before he did, and I'm like, "Hey, I'm I'm with the Gazette and Cedar Rapids. I need your comment on this." And he didn't want to talk, but he did give me like a comment, you know, and and, and that. So I've been on the ground floor since day one on this, and. And I think the one thing I think that's most fascinating is the Big 12 is the aggressor here. And that's never yeah. been the case. That they're, never. They can stand pat and be a really fun league. You know, financially, I'm not sure how that's going to all play out. I mean, they've got their, their contract and that's good. But, um, you know, in the, the big picture in the long term, I'm not sure. But I think when you look at the, uh, the Big 12, they've been picked apart since, you know, 2010. Now they're in a good spot. I think having Oklahoma and Texas granted that costs them a lot of money and some prestige, but now you've got kind of like-minded institutions, no and, doubt. And got, you know, and it's going to be again, a really fun league basketball and football. I mean, you know, all these teams play fun football, you know, Cincinnati has been a good team, BYU, UCF has been in the, in major bowls. And with the 12 team playoff, they're all going to at least get a shot. You know, and and so I think that's really helpful for them. But I think being the aggressor, it just it just solidifies in the public's mind, if nothing else, that hey, the Big 12 is not going anywhere. It's not going to disintegrate. It's not going to fall apart. And it's putting a lot of pressure on the Pac-12, which has been kind of a passive league for a long time. And other than that, the, the truck when they tried to go the Pac-16 way back when, it's mm-hmm. it's really just kind of been this you know, ho-hum, we're, we're all right where we are. And then they got shocked last summer when the Big Ten took USC and UCLA. And and uh, But if you're the Pac-12, I think you've got to line something up. If you want to stick together, you better line something up quick. It might only need to be a five-year thing just to get your bearings. Uh, probably hire a new commissioner at this point because I don't think your commissioner is being very good. Uh, but but uh, Washington and Oregon, you know they're looking for the Big Ten. See, that's my deal with the Pac-12, and it's my experience with the Big 12 that, that speaks to me so much, and, and I, I couldn't agree with more with what you just said. Like, when I look at the Big 12 now, after the last 15 years, it's like, well, where else are these programs going to go because they've been turned down by everybody? Nobody mm-hmm. wants them. And that's what makes them strong because they all realize their strength is their togetherness as a whole. Mm-hmm. And... Let, let's say I'm Colorado 
and Arizona, two schools that are being rumored the most with the Big mm-hmm. 12. Um, and we do a five-year deal with ESPN and Apple and Fox. We're just throwing entities out there. doesn't matter in this, in this scenario. You still have the long-term worry about Oregon and Washington because mm-hmm. the second the Big Ten decides they want to do that, if they do, they're gone. And that's mm-hmm. kind of been the case in the Big 12 forever. It's like, yeah, we're here, and it's it's fine. The checks are clearing. But you always kind of knew, okay, well, and that grant of rights is up. All hell might break loose. And, and it did. I mean, shockingly, nobody nobody really saw that coming when it did. But I – yeah, I, I like where they're at. I, I think that if this whole thing comes down to, Scott, like, you know, there's going to be four leagues at the end like everybody predicted, I'm confident the Big 12 will be there. And I, and I could also see a scenario where there could be three leagues and the Big 12 will be kind of the the third one standing if, if it got to that because the ACC's thing's really weird where they have this long grant of rights that – doesn't pay him much, but there's all like the Florida State that deal a couple months ago where the Florida State like regents were talking openly about like mm-hmm. their unhappiness with the I just I don't know there's there's all these smart rich people involved and I feel like I just can't imagine Clemson and Florida State sitting around making you know one fifth of what their rivals in the SEC I I. I know the grant of rights are strong. I get all of it. I've read them like you have. Yeah. At the end of the day, I still think that this, the um, earthquake is not even close to being settling on how this plays out. Yeah, you're right. And I, if if you're the Big 12 and the and the Pac-12 decides to coalesce and have you know a five or six year uh, you know new media rights agreement, if they're able to do it, and you know not on the CW, but you know if they're able to do it, then I think you're okay. I think you're in a great spot. Continue to do what you're doing. Showcase your your league in the best light possible. So if the Big Ten in four or five years decides, you know what? Yeah, we do want Washington and Oregon we, and maybe the two other California schools. Then, hey, open arms. You guys can still come. You know, we're still excited to have Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, the Four Corner schools, Colorado. Um, welcome back, Colorado. It's been a long time. Uh, I think that's great, you know, because if you just keep that open door uh, policy, you can still get what you want. And I don't see, you know, a few years ago, I thought the scenario would have been the Pac-12 grabbing who they wanted from the Big 12. No doubt. And it did not turn out to be that way at all. And and uh, and when you look at the at the Big 12 and all the success it's had and in, in uh, Football. I mean, TCU gets the gets the championship game, and you know whether it's Iowa State winning the Fiesta Bowl a few years ago, and you know, and on and on. I, I mean, there's a lot to like about this league. Now, you know, find, are you going to have to play on different times of the week? You know, Thursday, Friday nights, probably. Uh, are there going to be um, some games that you know maybe not paid quite as much as the Big Ten or the SEC? But if you if you still have a path to the playoff and you still have access to really good players, and if you have good collectives, I don't think that's really going to matter. You know, the only thing that's going to matter is whether or not your co- your athletic department can continue to pay coaches, and that's that's really yeah. a factor. Yeah, I, and I, I feel like too that as far as players go, listen, like I, I know there's a lot of prestige at playing for Alabama, and and you mm-hmm. can. You can make a lot of money there, right, in, in these different scenarios. But I, I think at the end of the day, players want to play. 
Like mm-hmm. I've never met a D1 men's college basketball player or football player who's a freshman coming into college who didn't think they weren't going to the NFL or the NBA. They all do. And great. I'm not criticizing them for it, but my point is you can't showcase that if you're constantly the third string. Ah, I'm cashing $100,000 a year, but I'm the third string linebacker at Alabama for five years, right? Like that, Because they're going to keep recruiting over you if you're not good, right? Like these players want to be seen. They want mm-hmm. to play. And that's why I don't necessarily – like, is it a doomsday deal for the Big 12 if they're making half of what the Big 10 is? Probably not. You know why? Because they've been doing that the whole time anyways. Right, yeah, right. So that's how I look at it from a Big 12 standpoint is you could be in a much worse spot. And, you know, a couple summers ago, it certainly looked like they were going to be. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when Oklahoma and Texas were announcing that they're leaving, then you start to wonder, okay, who might go where and, and how? I mean, Kansas has – the most marketable program, but it's basketball and basketball yeah. just does not, unless you're Gonzaga or, or somebody like that, you just Butler, maybe, you know, you're just not going to get any kind of looks. And even then, um, you know, being that far removed, I, I just don't know that they're, uh, you could, I, I would be interested for them if it's just a basketball only deal, but I don't think they would want that. And then, uh, you know, so it, it it's going to be really interesting to see what the big tens next steps are because in the fall, I think there was a, you know, a little bit of a, a chasm between Kevin Warren and the presidents because he wanted to continue to push and, and add. And they were like, no way we do not want this. We want to bring in USC and UCLA and that's it. And part of that was financial because the, you know, Fox and I've talked to Fox executives who were like, we're not going to give them any more money, you know, if they get Washington and Oregon. So yeah. therefore, if you get those two and Iowa's share goes down and Minnesota's share goes down, for what? So you're not going to pl- so you don't get a four-hour bus trip to Illinois or Northwestern or Minnesota, but you got to go fly to, uh, you know, Eugene or fly to, um, you know, to Seattle. I mean, come on, you know, you're not going to play those games, but you're going to play those, you know. So they all, they shut that down. And, and I think what's going to happen with the new guy is just, okay, we're going to stand pat for a couple of years. And then maybe in three to four years, they'll reevaluate the situation. Yeah. That's, that's my worry for both the Iowa schools, to be honest, is if, okay, let's just in a, let's assume here, hypothetically that Colorado and Arizona join the big 12 mm-hmm. and maybe San Diego, I don't whatever. Just throwing it out there. My worry is that Iowa State's going to get lumped in with that Western pod, mm-hmm. and I and I've heard people in Iowa City told me that they were a little concerned that Iowa and Nebraska would get stuck in some sort of a pod with the California schools too. And that you know, it's all fun and games. I think for fans, like it's exciting. Oh, we got these new teams coming in. It it really does suck though. Like if if all of a sudden like Iowa State's not playing the two Kansas schools and they're mm-hmm. Oh, but we're re- we're starting a new rivalry with BYU and Arizona. Oh, great! Yeah. You know, like it's not it's not good. Like it's not yeah. good for fans. It's not good for college sports. It's just more money at the end mm-hmm. of the day for for coaches and administrators. Exactly, and that's why the Big Ten is the scheduling situation has been so muddled from the very beginning. Because and 
there's not going to be a pod system. It's all, and and I think people keep talking about it. And it's like that, that's not going to happen. What that's going to happen is they're all going to be one league, and they're just going to they're going to play an an unset or an undetermined amount of permanent opponents, and then cycle through everybody else. Like the easiest one in the Big Ten is three six six. So they play three opponents uh, every year, and then cycle through the other. 12 twice over a four-year period that's easy but then it's like okay but who gets what three teams you know iowa's iowa has three rivals that it wants to play minnesota wisconsin and and then nebraska there's a lot of equity in that series um usc and ucla does uh, who are they going to play outside of each other you know maryland rutgers uh indiana you know you know so they're like well why should we do that same thing with maryland and rutgers i mean do we really have to play you know so they're they've got three they're down to three finalists for this a three six six uh you know and then maybe at the end of every four years you start to cycle through some of them so that's not as okay bad. well that's good to hear yeah so well, that's then good to i because <laughs> you know, i the big 12 next year they're doing protected basketball opponents where you play home and home with, and Iowa State got BYU, and it's just like, oh. <laughs> like that's not oh. good. Like that's not good for fans. Like they don't care about that, but it's it's also part of the deal. I get it. It's yeah. you want to be the aggressor, like we're talking about, then all of a sudden you gotta you gotta swallow when you know like you gotta suck it up and swallow it when Maryland and Rutgers get added for television purposes, and that's that's just kind of how. That's kind of how it goes. I don't. You don't have to like it, but it. Yeah, it's just a sign of the times, I guess. Yeah. So with the Big Twelve, I'd, I'd be fascinated if it's, uh, um, you know, as long as to me, I think as long as I and you, you could, you know, shut me down if I'm saying this wrong. But as long as they play Kansas and Kansas State in football, everything else is kosher. You know, you're. Yeah i i would I would say that too. I would protect as much of the old Big Eight as that is left if. Yeah. If it were up to me, but again, like I'm too old school. Like I'm the worst, Scott, because I'm the guy who for ten years has been yelling into a radio that the Big Twelve needs to be aggressive and they they got to get a shark in there and they've got to quit playing defense. And now they're doing that, and now I'm the old guy yelling, "Oh, but you got to protect the rivalry." Like, it, see, you can't have it both ways, and that's yeah. That's what I'm trying to do there. Last thing for me, if I'm Gonzaga, there's no way I'm going to the Big 12 for basketball. Like, if you look at what Butler has done in the Big East, what Wichita has done since it made its move, why would you go to the Big 12 and be this geographical outlier where, like, I mean, it's a known fact in college basketball recruiting that a lot of guys go to Gonzaga because they know they can puff up their stats in that conference. They have mm-hmm. every advantage in the world. Like, to me, this realignment deal is just I, – I, w- I, w- I would love to do an off-the-record – here's an idea for the athletic. I don't have the resources to pull this off. <laughs> but if you guys go back and get all the old-school guys, the Tom Osborns, the whoever was in charge of Colorado – and if you could see if they would make the move again, I would love to know what their thoughts would be on that. Because usually it just doesn't seem like it pays off that much for these schools that make the move. Yeah, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to ruin anything, but we do have a what we call a blitz coming out. I think it's in June, um, and it, we right now we have fifty eight stories on the docket that we're deciding between on realignment, and oh, so good. There, so nice. there it, it's going to be a series. Like everybody will and on the college football staff will participate in. So oh, that yeah, sounds great. 
Yeah. Uh, but I think you're, from what I know and gathered, uh, Nebraska would still do the same move. Colorado would not. The fans might not want to, but the, yeah. the, but Nebraska financially, it's it's a different world. Colorado would not have done the same move. Here's the thing with, about the the Big Eight slash Big Twelve Southwest Conference that I really and I've done a lot of work on this, and I might write this angle is Arkansas should have been in the Big Eight in the mid '80s. It, it, there were conversations even in the 70s with Chuck Ninus and Frank Boyle Broyles. He in the 80s, he was talking about leaving the Southwest Conference for the Big Eight. You know what held him back was the fact Kansas State was so bad before Bill Snyder. And they thought that, okay, if Bill Snyder, if, if Kansas State decides, you know what, we just can't compete anymore and leaves, then they could still be eight and have Arkansas. How's that for lack of foresight? <laughs> if, you, if you have Arkansas, and you're yeah. the big nine. Then when you bring on Texas, Texas A&M, I don't know, Baylor or Texas Tech, one of the one of them. Then you have another counterweight to Texas because then you sitting across from you have Oklahoma and Arkansas, and Nebraska wow. and Texas A&M. And then you but Baylor felt and Tech felt beholden to Texas. So they let Texas get away with a lot of stuff. I mean, and you talk about another league. I mean, Arkansas is a a powerful institution and that would have been that might have solidified the big 12 back then um, in the 90s and it might still be in operation today i i still think too i and i i know the money thing is totally gonna skew all of this but i i i would make a bet here to you scott a nice bottle of bourbon that in 20 years texas and oklahoma if they're being honest with themselves we will go Man, we should have just stayed in the Big 12 and pulled a lot more strings and power moves and you know, especially Texas. I think that they would they'll look back and say, "Man, we would have been way better off just keep calling the shots cuz you had all these schools that were letting you do whatever you wanted mm-hmm. to do anyways." Hell, even when you went behind their back and cheated on them and left, they came back to you and offered unequal revenue sharing for what I understand. I don't know, it just seems to me like the grass isn't always greener i know they're going to be making a lot of money but my god how much money do you need you know Mm -hmm. they're already they're already rich they're already making 30 million more than their counterparts in the league based on their network and all that stuff but this another pod for another day we could go another hour on this i don't want to take too much of your time thank you my friend you've been awesome i really appreciate you congrats on your big award much deserved and we'll catch up another time I'll, i'll hit you up this summer for some football talk okay Sounds great, Chris. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Good luck to your venture. Thanks, pal. I appreciate it. Scott Docterman from The Athletic here on this week's CW Pod. Iowa everywhere.